Okay, we are live. Sorry for being a couple minutes late, everybody. It is Friday. Uh, you are listening to Alumless. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, here on the show, we talk about alumni engagement strategies and educational advancement. I am Ryan Catherwood, and the man that you see sitting right next to me is the one and only Mr. Chris Marshall, the LeBron James of alumni engagement. Uh, it's great to see you this week, sir. Um, we are live today, Friday, January 20th, 2023, our first live show in 2023. Uh, so please be sure to say hello in the comments section of the LinkedIn event. We can see those comments and chime back while we're on the air. Uh, and we try to tackle your questions while we're live on the air. But if we run out of time, we always try to make sure to spend time on those questions in our bonus section uh, that we have on the podcast edition of the show. Uh, I'm excited to be broadcasting uh, for the first time personally in a remote scenario. It had some technical difficulties. It's always good to uh, have those when you're not at your home desk, but we got it uh, sorted out. I am in the Alumni Center at NC State University, which is really beautiful. There was just a um, ACC-SEC annual giving conference here, which uh, hosted by uh, Adam Compton, Rashenda Mahone, and the, and the great team here at NC State. So it's good to be live. And um, in, I'm in the boss's office, which is good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing good. You're in the big boss's office. And I would argue in one of the, if not the nicest alumni center I've ever been in. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, I it, is, been... uh, it is stunningly gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, this beautiful Marriott Hotel steps away. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so I, I've not uh, seen a sort of a more fantastic scenario. Perfect for scenario. And let's, setup. let's let people in the chat or in the comments later on tell us whether their alumni center is better, but I'm going to put it out there. It's the best alumni center I've ever been in NC State. So let's hear it. Josh, I see you're on there. And yes, I am a bit shorter than LeBron. You're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> but just as talented uh, in, their, in their respective professions. Yes. Uh, I appreciate it. But uh uh, let me be the Michael Jordan. The LeBron is our guest today. The future. Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, Patrick Auerbach, who we're going to bring out shortly, is our guest today. University of Southern California. He's up nice and early uh, on the West Coast to be with us today. And, and um, we're, we're glad to have him. Uh, but it's good to see you, Chris. Our first live show of the year. It's been yeah, a yeah. time for CMAC over the last few weeks. We welcomed Cynthia uh, Koo Robinson to the team uh, last week. And we just signed a partnership agreements with some new clients and other cool new things. We did a client call with uh, our partners at Washburn and Goldrick, and we had a great turnout of alumni professionals who were interested in, in having an ongoing conversation. Uh, so your pick, Chris, uh, which awesome thing uh, <laughs> would you like to uh, add color commentary for? Uh, all of the above. Cynthia is great. If you get a chance to work with her for one. Uh, the client call we did with the Washburn team, we had 29 people on. It was too many. It was a good problem to have. But my highlight when you're a business owner is four new clients to the decks. <laughs> it's always a highlight for me. We're very excited about our new partners and some really cool projects coming up. We'll get a chance to talk about later on in our podcast. We have some really cool things that are different than anything I've ever done in my nine years of consulting work. So look forward to sharing some of those details. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm here at the NC State uh, the Annual Giving Conference, and, and yeah. a lot of the conference has been about topics, of course, of annual giving. And the discussion has been on particularly lots of different areas, on the processes of gathering and using data on alumni and donor affinities. And, 
annual giving teams are trying to keep inching closer through new techniques and technology to optimize personalization in their marketing strategies yeah. And, yeah. and journey mapping strategies. Um, how do you see this area of engagement impacting uh, some of these other categories, uh, like uh, experiential uh, yeah, volunteer totally. communications? Yeah. I, I, I think personalization is going to be the word for our next several years in our, organi- our industry. And um, demonstrating that we know our alumni, whether we're asking them for money in the annual giving context or we're asking them to read a newsletter or come back to an event uh, or volunteer for something to help us um, move something forward. It's going to be whether or not we're asking them to do something that has meaning to them, the value added to them in their lives. I always use my, you know, my example is if my alma mater Lehigh, which is a great alumni program, I worked for them for years. But if they asked me to go to a class event or a my, my, my college or my major or anything else, I would say no. I wouldn't even open the envelope or click on the email, to be honest with you. But but my affinity is swimming. And, and I, I coached there for years. I was a competitive swimmer. And if they asked me to come to an event, you know, read a newsletter or make a gift or any of the above, I would help not only do all those things, I'd probably help plan those things. So being personal in what we do and knowing the alums and where they're going to have the impact that has some meaning to them. And, and it used to be enough that, you know, the old history, tradition and nostalgia was enough reason for decades for alums to give back in any way. And it's, I think I think those still exist, but I still think we need to be more now, more than ever, personalized and targeted in the way we communicate and ask people to show up and do whatever we want them to be doing. Yeah. Well, we have a great guest today yeah. to talk about these topics and more. Uh, let's bring out our special guest, Patrick Auerbach, who's um, a super accomplished engagement professional leading one of the premier programs in the country at the University of Southern California. Our friend Patrick here is the Associate Senior Vice President for Alumni Relations. Patrick, it's great to see you and welcome. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. It's great to be here. And I don't know if I'm the LeBron James of alumni relations. I, I'm thinking more like because it's USC. I would like to, you know, think I'm Caleb Williams, but, you know, Heisman Trophy winner or Lisa Leslie, women's basketball great or even Allison Felix, because Allison, you know, is, a, is the winningest uh, track athlete in U.S. Olympic history. She's a Trojan, but she never actually competed as an athlete at USC and neither did I. So right. pick your poison. But thank you. It's an honor to be with you, gentlemen, and with everybody here on this uh, show today. Yeah, well, I have to admit, Patrick, I picked the basketball analogy for a reason, just because your really interesting career dates all the way back to doing a really cool uh, athletics operations work uh, for folks like Pat Summit at the University of Tennessee women's program. And mm-hmm. uh, you kind of came up into our space through athletics. And so um, I know that we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but um, I know. Yeah, that's the Lisa Leslie reference because she's one of the all-time women's basketball greats or Cheryl Miller, if you will, Cynthia Cooper, you name it. We've, we've got them all here. All right. We got enough plugs. We know USC is amazing. All right. Stop, okay. All right? <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> no, no, keep bringing it. It's great. I love it. Yeah, well, Patrick, we wanted to frame today's show around making alumni engagement more accessible. And and to me, it seems like the idea of building programs, events, experiences in our communications so that they allow alumni to participate around affinity or identity based um, uh, alignments is is all about access and, and inclusivity. I know you've got made a lot of uh, changes to your programs there uh, at USC. How do you think about the challenge of engaging around affinities? 
Thank you. Well, it harkens back to something Chris just said about uh, personalization. And I think that however you're going to engage your constituents, if you're looking for general engagement or you want to advance relationships philanthropically or to you know build more advocacy or reputation for your institution, you want to be able to speak to a continuing uh, a, an audience that's continuing to diversify, not only in perhaps their backgrounds, where they're from, how they attain their education, but also how they want to be engaged. So there's a lot of diversity on that line as well. So when you look at affinities, you want to see how do people want to be engaged. And when Chris made the comment, which I think is really apropos about traditions, people are looking to build new traditions. So the big threat we have now to kind of put this, I think we could really look at this is how do you keep the traditional folks, if you will, engaged and feeling included while you're trying to expand, you know, you're trying to expand the tent and let everybody feel like they are welcome. And that's a huge lift, I think, for all of us, whether you're at an institution like USC. By the way, we have a wonderful alumni center as well. Uh, and I'm a bon- not to do too much branding here, but I'm a Bonvoy you know, loyalist. So I'm kind of envious of NC State having the Marriott right nearby. But um, how, do you, how do you keep people all feeling included? And I think that there's some tension there because you know, our institutions aren't the same places they were 50 years ago. Yet they are. So I think that that's a that's a grand challenge for all of us who are in the alumni and development space is making everybody feel like they have a stake in, you know, the the uh, the affairs and the, the benevolence of the institution. Patrick, you, you referenced it in that it is an industry wide thing. I don't think it's just large universities. Not at all. With this issue. I mean, I have clients in liberal arts schools with 30,000 alums that have great traditional alumni programs, but they're wondering what the heck they're going to do now to build that more contemporary model with their more recent graduates with the resources they currently have. What do you stop doing? You know, all those things. And we're going to talk about a good example that you went through at USC in a little bit here. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, lots of exciting stuff out there for sure. We could talk all day, but I know we have limited time. So I will uh, <laughs> defer back to you, Ryan. Well, to, to sort of follow up on, on what Chris was mentioning and uh, what you, you sort of brought up is um, making changes, right, to programs mm-hmm. that are going to fit uh, the move, the trajectory moving forward into the future. And one of the changes you made was to pivot toward from a regional chapter group-based model to another model designed around affinity and identity. And you've been able to develop a model that uh, is more inclusive, right? And uh, what have been some of the ramifications of updating your program from that chapter-based model to this new approach? Well, thank you for asking. It certainly was an attention grabber and it's the gift that keeps on giving in a lot of ways. I think that... um, by and large, it's been very successful, but I will, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I'll throw another celebrity name in here. I'm not ready to do the Michael Jackson victory tour yet because we still have a lot of work to do and we haven't perfected, you know, we have not perfected this, but I think we're onto something really important. And I mean, it might be a seminal moment in alumni relations. The way alumni associations have been organized for many, many years, especially when communications were not as sophisticated and connectivity is not as sophisticated as it is today, is to have a club model or an organization or little group model based on locality. And I know we're going to get into this a little later with the alumni association here at USC with our upcoming centennial. But when I look at how when our alumni association was founded 99 and a half years ago, it was founded on a bunch of clusters of communities. So that's how these organizations were founded. It's very, it was organic, and then it really needed some organization, and so you evolve. We did not take this lightly because we know that it's a very, it's it's a given, and it's really in the zeitgeist, if you will, of alumni relations. If you don't live in the city in which your university or your college exists, where's your local club or your local chapter? That's just something that that is such a natural tendency, and we respect that. 
But largely, we find that that model was really antiquated. And I still crystally clearly remember when our former university president asked me, hey, you just took me on this wonderful tour, 11 cities across the United States. And in every single city, I got up in front of four, five, six hundred people, and I wanted to acknowledge our alumni club. And every time I did, less than a dozen people stood up when I said, how many of you are here from the club tonight? He said, what's wrong? (laughs) And I said, nothing's wrong. I said, but there's a better way to do it right. And then that really, that, that didn't, that, that, that comment alone, it obviously resonated with me, but it didn't, I didn't base the decision, you know, on that piece of data alone. I started really observing what my staff was doing and what our volunteers were doing. And what we found largely was that we were spending more time putting out fires and trying to run defense. Let's put some sports back in this instead of being on offense. We were doing too much defense that we weren't converting into points. If you want to use some football reference, we were not getting any takeaways. We were not getting any pick sixes or scooping scores for the football You've folks. You've done this before, yeah. Right. <laughs> but what was happening was we were spending too much time on defense and we found that we didn't have the ball enough. And so, in other words, what we weren't doing was scoring points in terms of engagement. We were spending too much time trying to prevent problems and perhaps protect the name and brand of the university. And I don't believe for a moment that the alumni who were involved in the clubs were doing anything out of malice or malevolence, not at all. However, there was a disconnect between what we needed our alumni communities to be doing in terms of being aligned with the university and what the model was actually allowing or um, the, the expectations that were being put out there were just really, again, it was a mismatch. And when you have finite resources, yes, even at a big brand university like USC, we have to be really smart with our resources and make sure that we're putting them towards getting the biggest bang for our buck. We were finding we were spending way too much time and not getting enough return. Therefore, we started looking at what could we do instead. And this was about a three and a half year process. Which is amazing, uh, Patrick. And you, we've talked about this over the course of the last few years. And, and every in every few months, I was like, I got to want to talk to Patrick because he's doing this thing. And I want to know like how it's been going. Uh, so to that end, you know, um, as you've, you've learned a lot, right, over the last three and a half years. And I continue to. <laughs> and you're looking because you're not done yet, right? You're, you acknowledge you're sort of still working on it. Sure. What would you advise other alumni engagement leaders, you know, sort of thinking about their regional chapter model being a bit antiquated and, you know, wanting to head in the same direction that you did at USC or that you are going at USC? Yeah, I mean, you could use some you could use some of the, the you know, the, the fun phrases, buyer beware. I think what's really important to know is we don't regret the decision. It might not be the best decision for every institution, but I tell you, especially with this kind of, uh, you know, um, the, this like earth shaking announcement last summer that we were switching conferences to the Big Ten, you know, from the Pac-12, where we've been for almost 100 years. Um, four Big Ten institutions reached out to us because we've, uh, you know, about what we did, because it was well known throughout the ranks, especially maybe the, you know, the um, the tier one research universities and power five football schools. USC made a very big change in its alumni engagement strategy. And we did so because, again, we felt that most of our alums, that, that the club and our chapter model was not serving the broader uh, alumni base. And again, I could get into some real uh, granular statistics with you about how less than two and a half percent of all of our alums in our regions ever engaged with our clubs. Yeah. But they also were some of the most vocal and passionate. So you want to make sure that you're trying to figure out where can we, you know, where can we thread that needle? 
and feel like we're being you know, available and we're being inclusive, that we're resonating with people. One of the biggest narratives we heard out there was, oh, I'm not part of the club. Well, if we're bringing a university president or we're doing something big and wonderful in a region and we invite you through the under the banner of the alumni club, people automatically think it's not for them because they were never active in the club. So we're trying to bring it forward as a university program or an alumni association program. And quite frankly, we are a non-dues model, meaning everyone is a member as long as you graduate. You do have to have a degree, you're automatically a member. I would estimate that at least half of our 468,000 alumni around the world don't even realize, quite honestly, that they are automatically members of the Alumni Association. Mm. So we, we, we even have to look at ourselves and say, wait a minute, if we like put the club model to the side and still say, well, we're an alumni association, we still might have some of that barrier out there about how some alums might not even know that they're members. So it's a very, very tricky space where we do everything. Of course, we send out emails. We have all kinds of initiatives and campaigns to let people know, yes, you're a member. But there's still a very, very deep-seated cultural perception that clubs are the way you engage in the regions and you have to, quote unquote, pay to join your alumni association. And those are much bigger than USC. Those, I think, are across our entire space. So those are battles and they're, 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 they're challenges. They're, they're not negative. They're challenges that we're continuing to try to address so that we could, again, make all alums, going back to what you said, Ryan, access, inclusive. You are part of our alumni association or you're part of our alumni. You're part of our, we'd say Trojan family, a very near and dear to our hearts to use that moniker. Um, that's what we do. And so we want to make sure that people feel that they are part of it, that they are welcome and that they're an important part of who we are. So, let me jump in here, Ryan, real quick, because I want to. I'm familiar a little bit of the journey that Patrick went through on this, and I want to want you to share on a certain spot here. So, you, three and a half years, you mentioned, and I we, I did follow you and I talked throughout as you went through this process. The fact that you had the spot to even do this in the first place, I think, was, was amazing. But but when you let, let me give an example, so you have that uh, loud and vocal alum, well known person who's out there who wants to keep things the same and not have any change come their way. Throw in the fact that that person might be a, a high level donor. And has influence and access to other people. You did a lot of work consensus building around this decision, so that when you went out with it, you had you had the backing of everybody all the way up through the president to the board of trustees. Is my understanding? Is that? Thank you. That is correct. And yes, we did have to do. Obviously, you know, we you know, I would have it would have been a professional suicide to do otherwise. Exactly. But even if so, no matter how much you prep people for it, I think what was really surprising was the the backlash. There was absolutely backlash. But I think there was also a lot of misunderstanding. I think people, again, it goes back to what we were talking about a few moments ago. When people heard that we were no longer going to have regional clubs, what they what we announced was we are moving away from regional clubs. And what they heard was we are no longer engaging alumni in the regions. And that is not what we said. So again, it's how do you communicate? How do you clearly, first of all, get your internal ducks in a row? And thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. You want to make sure, you know, we were concerned about the lack of alignment between alumni clubs and the university. So we need to make sure that we are completely aligned in what we're doing and why and how, and that the right stakeholders internally and externally are aware so that when you actually make the move, all kinds of misperceptions out there, you want to be able to, again, this is where you want to be able to run defense, but then go on offense with it. And I think what was uh, compounding the issue was the fact that we were fresh into the pandemic. And so people, I think, were really struggling, you know, in their personal lives, their professional lives. We were all isolated. We're social creatures, especially those of us in the alumni and development world. We are engaging folks. 
And so I think people on the outside really felt like something big was taken away from them. All that to say, if I could have done something differently, um, you know, one of the biggest criticisms we had was from some of our former club and chapter leaders who said we didn't engage them in the conversation. Hmm. And where we really had to be blunt and frank, and this was tough, was you weren't even signing your charters and following the rules. So they weren't really engaging in a trusting relationship. Now, not all of them, by the way, I want to say that it was a very large um, minority. It was about 40 to 45% of our clubs were out of compliance. So again, that illustrates we were spending way too much time trying to get people in compliance with anything from, you know, scholarship accounting, you know, uh, proper use of the brand, getting permission to, you know, when you wanted to create t-shirts or do branding, like we were spending way too much time always trying to put out those fires. The same people who refused to sign the charters were the people who wanted us to engage with them in making the decision. (laughs) And it wasn't, so again, and it wasn't, I mean, I don't want to think I'm like the Sue Sylvester, if you will, for those of you who watch Glee, you know, this antagonist cheerleading coach, because I was a cheerleader in undergrad. Cornell grad, by the way. What's that? She's Cornell grad, the actress. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you. And I was a UCLA undergrad. So all kinds of conflict going on here. But I wanted to make sure that people understood that like we were doing all of this for, for the grand reason of promoting and enhancing and advancing USC. Yeah, That's the thing. But again, people were very, I, I will say, and in all, in all due respect, people were really traumatized by this change. Granted, it wasn't a lot of people, but they were vocal. We understood. And a lot of them have come around. Not all of them have, and some of them never will. Yeah, And we understand that. But you know what? It's funny because some of the criticisms that have come out said that the Alumni Association has always been this way. I don't think there's an alumni director out there who is 100% loved by their audience. (laughs) I learned what it's like now. Now I got a taste of what it's like to be an athletic director because there were all (laughs) kinds of campaigns about get this guy out of here. I'm really a Bruin, you know, because it's my undergrad. I heard heard it all. But the proof has been in the pudding. Our volunteerism in the regions has nearly doubled. And people don't want to hear that. We have the data. We have the proof. And it's because, Ryan, going back to the theme of this conversation, people feel included now. You want to host a community service project in your region? You're no longer first told by the club board, well, you're not on the board of the club. And you have to first join the club and be one of us before you can participate in an alumni association program. We have removed that barrier. So it's created lots of opportunities, but it also now puts more of a, not a burden, but a duty and a responsibility on my staff to make sure that we are deftly managing our volunteers. And so again, it's great work, but we feel like the hard work we're putting in is yielding more results than before. Yeah. Um, Patrick, we wanted to, um, we teased the idea of the uh, centennial celebration for yeah. the USC Alumni Association, which I'm, we talked before, a really exciting opportunity there. Uh, I wanted to make sure that here in the live show, we talk a little bit about that before we switch over to the the, the uh, bonus segment with you, which everyone is going to want. And that's going to be live cast on ESPN News as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure that feed is up and running. <laughs> just kidding. Lester Holt, NBC Nightly News is going to cover it tonight. We can watch. Okay. <laughs> well, so what what are the plans in, that are in the works for sort of taking advantage of this great opportunity, celebrating the centennial of the alumni association there at USC, and, and what are you thinking about in terms of sort of important? milestones that uh, uh, and then opportunities, right? To, to bring yeah. alumni more in the fold. 
the first word that comes up is opportunity. I mean, so the fact is on June 21st, which is the summer solstice, uh, June 21st of 2023, the USC Alumni Association will turn 100. And um, it's an important distinction. I don't want people to think it's the University of Southern California centennial because, in fact, USC is over 140 years old. But our Alumni Association was founded in 1923, which was also the year in which the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum was built or opened, I should say. It's also uh, the year that Fight On, which is our battle cry, the Fight On USC song was created in 1923. The Caruso Catholic Center here at USC, interestingly, um, the, the what was its predecessor, its forerunner, uh, was founded in 1923. The Hollywood sign, you know, the world famous iconographic, you know, landmark was erected in 1923. So <laughs> lots of 1923 going on. But we want to use this centennial as an opportunity to celebrate a century of the Trojan family, a century of volunteerism and advocacy, and also as an opportunity to promote the next century of alumni engagement at USC. What we're not going to do which you know, it's tempting. Well, it's 100 years. Let's put on 100 events. We already do many, many, many things across many different platforms, whether it's events, whether it's you know programs and panels online, whether it's communications initiatives. So we're not going to add anything. Well, maybe we'll add one or two things. We're not, by and large, we're not going to add anything. What we're going to do is take everything we already do and kind of hit the pause button for a year and do an entire year of centennial messaging and programming in those already established platforms. Mm. So we're... Our 100th homecoming happens to be this fall, you know, and that's anchored to a football game. We have an annual volunteer recognition dinner in which we usually, you know, have about 15 or 20 high level volunteers who we recognize. Instead of doing that, we're going to actually celebrate all of our volunteers and do celebrating a century of volunteerism. And instead of getting 400 people in a ballroom, we're probably going to have a thousand people in an outdoor venue on campus. So again, we're kind of going to take a little pause from the usual run of the mill things, which are wonderful and fun and do something totally different, have this huge brand. You know, we've already been working on some, we already have some graphics and, and messaging that that's been approved and we're excited to unveil it, but we're not going to add a whole bunch of new events. We're just going to try to use the centennial messaging to promote our programs to new people and use our programs to promote the centennial messaging. So kind of a reflexive strategy there. And again, we're hoping that it yields great results. We want to attract um, new alums, whether they graduated last year or, you know, last century, it, it doesn't matter. And um, we want to obviously promote uh, the spirit of philanthropy at USC and, you know, work hand in glove with our annual fund office, which does not report into me. But we want to make sure that we're not missing an opportunity to really celebrate the Trojan family. That's what it's all about and building engagement. We have a committee um, of 30 members. It spans eight different decades. So we have people who graduated from USC in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, and we even have an alum of 2020. This is an advisory committee. There are former alumni club leaders on this advisory committee. Really important. They still have a voice. Of course, they're the ones who signed the charters and the contracts, you know, but these are people who, you know, we we have people on three different continents. We have people from all our, all our different multicultural communities, different academic disciplines. It's a beautifully representative committee of 30 that's representing a Trojan family of more than 468,000. So to have them as the face of this centennial as well, is just, I can't tell you how exciting it is. It sounds fantastic. It sounds like a heck of an initiative. Chris, uh, just sort of in the last couple of moments of, you know, the, the live show here, um, I was curious, you know, the consulting work that you've done and, and the connectivity with this, these types of centennial celebrations, um, 
you know, how do you sort of see overall impact uh, on these types of opportunities and, and their connectivity with engagement more broadly? Yeah, I, I think, you know, where I've seen these work around hundredths and fiftieths and seventy-fifths and twentieth, you see a lot of fiftieths right now in the Northeast where you have schools that went co-ed, for example, back in the early seventies. And mm. a lot of them are leveraging that, those moments. And there are absolutely times you should, you should, there's no other chance you have other than those moments to, to leverage that and to do what Patrick gives the perfect example of how to do it. But I also see it coming around, um, you know, some of the most successful events I've been a part of personally is when a faculty member who's been the iconic 40-year member of the faculty retires. And that person's departure is a moment where you can celebrate, just like you would an anniversary date. So mm-hmm. I've seen more of this. Um, I'm seeing some folks in the chat. Jump, someone put in fight on, Patrick, there. That's, yeah. That was for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Ryan, the short answer is yes, we got to leverage these moments. I think they're exactly um, what, what Patrick talked about in terms of bringing in a, a real inclusive, diverse group to help you think about and, and celebrate it and leverage them. Leverage them all you can is the way to I would recommend for anyone. Yeah. I would say, if I may real quick, yeah. the passion and the, the care and the love that these alums have for the institution is unsurpassed. And I mean, it's so funny. So we said this advisory committee was going to meet four times. So they've already met twice in the fall semester. Their upcoming meeting, uh, um, this come, it's on, coming up on, and we actually did the next one on a Saturday because people are flying in for this meeting. We're going to do the big wow. photo on campus, going to take them to dinner and a men's basketball game that night. Cool. Um, they are so passionate about this. And it's really awakened and renewed a spirit of togetherness. And we actually had to convert this meeting on February 4th from a meeting into a day long retreat, because we keep running out of time every time the committee meets. And as much as I could, my staff is wonderful. And as much as we can all be pretty much like drill sergeants and make sure that we're keeping things on time, there's so much to talk about and so much energy. (laughs) We had to expand it to a retreat. So lots of good stuff. Yeah, good problem to have, right? Absolutely. That's great. You all are doing such great stuff at, at USC. It's, it's fantastic to, to get a sense of it. And we're going to keep the conversation going here in, in our bonus section of the podcast of alumnus uh, and uh, that folks can listen to by subscribing. But Chris, do you want to sort of take us uh, to our announcement of our guests in two weeks time? As long as he doesn't hear this, I'm going to say it. We're going to go to the second best private school currently in the Pac-12 to none other than Howard Wolf from Stanford University <laughs> as our speaker in two weeks from now. He's going to be great. Uh, I'll, I'll label him as the second best on this call, and then I'll switch it around, Patrick, on the next call. You'll be the second. <laughs> I like to refer to Howard as the dean of the Pac-12, and he might even he won't be the dean of the Big Ten when we go to the Big Ten. But, uh, you know, I have all kinds of monikers for Howard, uh, but he's a <laughs> – I mean, he is he is a rock star in this industry and he has, you know, a very and he and I, by the way, are completely opposite on our feelings on a lot of things, uh, I, um, including football. Have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, including uh, clubs and chapters, um, a, a lot of things. Uh, I mean, but again, we have great respect for each other. And I mean, I think it's healthy to have a balance of totally different great. perspectives. Yep. So I think you're, you're going to hit a home run with him for sure. Great. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, Alumnus, a web series uh, here on LinkedIn. And we're grateful for Patrick for joining us today. We're going to uh, hop over to a Zoom room, record our bonus segment, and uh, publish the, the podcast version over the weekend. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Friday. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks with Howard Wolf. All right.
We are back with Patrick Auerbach, University Southern California, Senior Associate Vice President of Alumni Relations. And a great conversation just now, LinkedIn Live, lots of great uh, comments in the chat. Uh, so um, we're, I think we, we sparked a nerve with folks on this particular subject, particularly in the area of the regional chapter uh, morphosis uh, into something that's a bit more accessible, right? A bit more uh, sort of a, a strategy that meets the moment. But I thought rather than sort of diving back into that topic, uh, I thought we could sort of uh, tell folks a bit more about you and your career here. I had the chance to interview you uh, a couple of years ago when I did the Advancement Legends podcast. And your, your professional journey is one of my favorites, actually, for those individuals who are sort of leading uh, alumni teams uh, around the country. Uh, I thought maybe, Patrick, you could share, uh, you've been with USC for about 23 years, but, but your career didn't start in advancement, right? Your career began actually in uh, women's basketball operations in higher ed, right? You were doing some other uh, adjacent work. Yeah, it was actually uh, public media public relations. For those who are familiar with athletic departments, there's this thing called SID, Sports Information Director, in the media relations world. So that's where it started uh, back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Well, so how did what was that like? And, and how did you end up transitioning to alumni relations instead of saying targeting like an athletic director role? Uh, that's a good question. Although I mentioned on the live portion of this program, I felt like an athletic director under fire, <laughs> you know, recently. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, yeah. It was just a matter of, you know, loving, loving, you know, university life overall. I mean, when I was an undergrad across town at UCLA, I just, I really discovered how much I love being on a college campus. And I was not really a sports person growing up and just fell in love with, you know, dare I say this UCLA sports. And so I was always been, I've always growing up in LA, been very aware of the SC UCLA rivalry, which is, you know, a really, really fantastic one. And so I, I, and then I just really kind of got very interested in sports and kind of found this really quirky way into women's basketball, which at the time was really an emerging sport. It had only been around officially, you know, in terms of university support since title nine. So it was, it was less than 20 years old. I mean, even though women have been playing basketball for, you know, since the late 1890s. And um, started looking at like rising up in administration and working in athletics is, a, is a, an exciting enterprise. It's also extremely fragile. It's extremely volatile. And a lot of decisions might be based on, quite frankly, how 18 to 22 year old young women or men compete. And that could determine somebody's professional fate. Now, of course, that's not to say that doesn't happen in other areas like of education. <laughs> you know, like if your students aren't succeeding, something might be wrong with the teachers or the principal if you're looking at, you know, primary education. So I became more of a philosopher, as you can tell. <laughs> anyway, um, as I was working at USC and doing this, you know, great job with, you know, really enjoying women's basketball and enjoying this cool opportunity, I started feeling like I'm getting a little complacent here. Like, and I don't know if this is really where I want to be. So I luckily here at USC is in other places when you work at an educational institution, you have an opportunity to get an advanced degree. I already had my bachelor's at UCLA. I got my master's degree at the University of Tennessee. And I thought, well, why not get the doctorate and just, you know, you know, hit the cycle here or do the hat trick, if you will. Did that. And as I was finishing up my dissertation, which is on why college presidents and chancellors invest such hefty sums of resources into athletics. I started really understanding the greater, like the greater enterprise of higher ed and how athletics fits into that. And it got really into subjects about admissions, alumni relations, development, um, reputation building, advocacy, public affairs. So my mind started shifting towards that space. And then a job opened up in the Alumni Association on campus. 
And at the time, uh, USC had just hired a new alumni director, uh, talk about legends, uh, Scott Morey, who um, is now the vice president for advancement at Carnegie Mellon. Scott was not a Trojan. He had no ties to the West Coast, was not really a sports guy and still isn't, <laughs> but a real bona fide professional. And so he needed to build his leadership team and he needed kind of an insider. And so it was a perfect, op- you know, they say timing is everything, but you really do create your own luck. Scott brought me in, mentored me. But I also already had a very deep connections and a lot of attraction at USC. I'd been at SC for about eight years at the time. Suddenly, I found myself really falling in love with alumni relations, kind of the way I did college sports 20 years before that. And then, you know, Scott, uh, Scott's career evolved and he moved on to the development side and the university kind of looked at me and said, OK, you know, we'll give this guy a six month audition, which they did. And I was grateful for that opportunity. And then they um, they hired me on full time in this role, the alumni director role on July 1st of 2013. So not only is USC coming up on its centennial, I'm coming up on my decade um, of being in this role, but it's been 15, it's been 15, a little more than 15 years now in alumni relations. And as you mentioned, uh, nearly 23 years at the institution, and it's been awesome. It really has been. Well, congratulations on all your on your success and, and you. uh, on your professional trajectory. I have not had the chance to meet Scott Murray yet. Chris, I know you've worked with Scott a number of times. And, yep. and obviously, Patrick sounds like he's a, an important he, mentor. He's the Michael yours. Jordan. There's the Michael Jordan for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's somewhat unusual, right? Yeah, for a, no, um, he would not for get that. Leader. <laughs> I was going to say, it's somewhat unusual for the alumni leader to become the vice president of advancement. And um, sort of, I, I think, across the space, you know, he's sort of recognized as someone who successfully has has done that. Um, he, he was the beginning of a trend where we're seeing, you know, I could name half a dozen or more now that followed in the same path, but he was one of the first who went that direction. Yeah. So Patrick, obviously sports are a huge part of the experience at at USC. Um, What do you think about building engagement programs sort of in support of athletics or in uh, sort of uh, parallel with athletics? When you have so much demand for sports watching events or sports related stuff, Mm -hmm. it can be all consuming and also sometimes prevent other types of programs from coming to fruition. Or how do you see it? I, you know, I think that uh, athletics presents a wonderful opportunity. Again, it goes it could go back to my dissertation research, but a lot of this is intuitive and just kind of like it's kind of obvious. Sports is a great um, brand accelerator for the institution. It can be an incredible asset. It can also be a liability. And here's why I'll say that. It's very tricky when you have a huge sports enterprise. I mean, it is for the whole institution, not just for alumni relations, for a lot of different facets of the institution. And you can't rest too much of your strategy on one thing. You know, the proverbial, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You got to be really careful with stuff like that. It's just fascinating how much, how all consuming it can become to where like, here we are in January right now, you know, we're out of football season. And, you know, again, for folks who have great basketball traditions, you know, like our, our friends at Duke, even though, sorry, Sterling, they fell out of the top 25, but even, you know, Kansas, North Carolina, whoever the, you know, the blue bloods are in, in men's basketball or women's basketball with UConn and South Carolina, the other. USC and and Tennessee, you can't, you know, it becomes all consuming. So people say to me in January, well, you're not really busy now, are you? Are you kidding? (laughs) Athletics is a wonderful part of USC, but this is a gigantic institution. Let me give you one really stark metric, which I think will really illustrate that while sports is huge at USC, it's still not everything. We raised in our last comprehensive fundraising campaign, $7.1 billion dollars. And so much of the, oh, with our, your football tradition that, you know, you, you'll, you'll raise that money. About 750 million of the 7.1 billion went to athletics, which is roughly 
In other words, nearly 90% of the philanthropy that came USC's way in the last campaign was not for athletics. Now, it's not to say that some of that might not have been tied to athletics opening some doors for USC, but it's just, it's showing that athletics is a very, can be a very powerful asset. It could be, uh, but it's part of your toolbox. And at, at um, you know, conferences like PQA, the Association of Private College and University Alumni Directors, you know, so there are some different institutions that don't have sports or maybe they have Division three sports and it's just a very different context. Like, wow, what I could do with your football team, I go, be careful what you hope for. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I love it. But man, you know, like, you know, we're, um, as Chris knows, you know, we, we've been in a, a survey bid process and we're going to be launching an alumni survey very soon. And I'm not doing it during football season. Because I don't want to send it out. If I plan to send it out on a Tuesday and we just dropped a game that we should, it's too, it's it's just it's, it's emotional. It is. It's super emotional. And people yeah. are going to use it as an opportunity to vent about a bad decision that might have been made during the game by someone who paid a lot more money than me. Um, our defense so, is terrible. We got to rub our... <laughs> right. I mean, so you have to be really, it's just, you have to be really strategic about it. So yeah, I mean, sports is a huge part of our brand, but, and you really need to, understand how it can open doors and how it could unite people, but it can also bring out some, some challenges that you want to make sure that you could manage appropriately. And the whole world is changing too right now. I mean, if you follow college sports, I mean, you might be watching a basketball broadcast this weekend, men's or women's and say, wait, I thought he or she played for some, yeah. Cause people are transferring left and right now. There's this whole other world going on. And again, it, it creates challenges for, I think for, you know, building loyalty for, you know, branding. So again, we have a great partnership with our colleagues over in the athletic department. You know, that's where I used to work. So, you know, I still got some wonderful connections there and it's a great partnership, but you want to be friends when you're doing well and you want to really be good friends when you're not doing well. I mean, they want to obviously work with us and they do a great job of that. Right. I don't want to go down this road. I'm just going to mention it, but put a pin in this. The whole NIL name image like this in college sports right now and the transfer portal that Patrick reference. We can have a panel of Patrick's who are big, you know, power five schools talk about this topic and what the impact is on alumni engagement because it's a fascinating topic. I'm going to stop right there so we don't go down that path any further. But oh, come on, Chris. <laughs> See, this is what you do, man. You just like, you know, this is part of the expression for those. I don't mean to sound, but this is the gateway drug. Like now you just, you just <laughs> out there and now we're all going to go down that rabbit hole. We're going to, we'll save it for a future. Uh, this is how we get people to come back on. and listen to us every other Friday. You guys, you know, are, you guys are the best singers, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to bring us back to sort of, sort of some of the stuff we deal with all the time in alumni, whether you're a big, small, private, public, private football or not. Um, one of the things I deal with all the time in my consulting work is getting people to have the confidence to change or stop or say no, frankly. I mean, anything in that category. We're really good at addition as an industry. We stink at subtraction. Saying no is not in our vocabulary. Again, we, I mentioned earlier, you had the chutzpah to make a pretty big decision that you made. You didn't stop it. You you changed it, obviously. But mm-hmm. how do you know when that time? How do you personally make those decisions? And how do you how what advice would you give somebody to know when it's time to say no, to stop, and to do go another direction? Great. When it starts to become a common uh, when when people start to really ask the same questions, like. Again, I, I mentioned on the live part of this program today that, you know, our, our former university president made a very innocent, very, uh, what I'd like to believe is an unbiased observation. 
And other people are like, yeah. And then you, you know, you want to test is that we're in academia, right? You want to test that theory. So you start going around and ask, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I, I don't have anything to do with the clubs. Or, you know, again, not to hearken on that, but it's like, but then you have to make sure you have all your, again, I mentioned this earlier, all your ducks in a row to say, you know, again, you want to be bold. What's interesting about institutions is that we keep celebrating, be bold, disrupt, make a change. Even USC, we have this really cool campaign that our, our folks in our University Marcom uh, division put out there, and it's a riff on FC. We love to do that. So it's like, you know, student-centered, not sports-centered, da-da-da, but it's like <laughs> student-centered and all these things. And one of the things they said was shatter convention. Well, I shattered convention, and I, <laughs> I, I, I now I say I, but I'm talking about the, the, the Alumni yeah. Association. We had the full backing of our, our Board of Governors, which is our advisory body for the Alumni Association. We had the Board of Trustees who signed off on it. But some Board of Trustees members, in all due respect, I don't think they expected the backlash, and I don't think they yeah. were prepared for it. Because, you know, some of our most, you know, accomplished alums go on to be on our Board of Trustees, and perhaps their college roommate didn't. And their college roommate wound up being a club leader, which is great. <laughs> and now the club leader's upset. So who does he or she call? They call right. their college roommate. And their college roommate's like, oh, my goodness. And then they call me, Patrick, what have you done? And you have to, you know, listen, this is about this is about diplomacy. You know, you want to obviously be respectful. You're talking about people whose names are on buildings or on sure. schools here at the university. And so it was it was a great learning experience for me to say, you know, I would, you know, would you like, I mean, how do you say to somebody who's got a lot of zeros after their name? Did you read your minutes that you approved? So you have to really, and I, I had some very, very challenging conversations with people. And I said, look, this isn't forever, but if for any reason in the future, we need to go back, we better have a, and I, by the way, I don't anticipate that we will, but we better have a really, really, really good reason for life, but let's give this a shot. And again, as it's been mentioned earlier today, We've seen some amazing data. We are so proud of it, but we still have so much work to do. And that's what, as a matter of fact, tomorrow morning, um, not that anybody here is invited and you wouldn't want to be, but from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time, we have um, our regional volunteers. They're not club people. Some are from, we are having a two-hour planning retreat tomorrow. It's like a mid-year kind of assessment and like, yeah, how are we going to yeah. finish out the year and work towards next year? So this is a work in progress. How but big again, is that event? How many attendees come in tomorrow morning, for example? Oh, um, it's going to be from, we have six regional, see, we now have regional advisory groups, but those are for the large regions, New York, a large, meaning alumni, you know, a critical mass of alumni. So it's New York, D.C., Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, and uh, Seattle, and, and San Francisco, of course. Those are the regions where we have, like, they probably alone have account for 85% of our alumni. Yeah, right. And so, again, some of them still hear a little static in the regions. We don't have a club anymore. When we lost the Pac-12 championship game last month in Vegas, you know, we're all bummed. We're leaving the stadium. And everyone, all lovey-dovey, and I've been around USC a long time. And, and one person came up to me and was just out for – she was obviously upset that we lost the game. Former club leader who came up and just absolutely berated me about why we don't have clubs anymore. And I said, what do you miss most about the clubs? She said, the game watches. And I'm not going to implicate the region, but I said, do you know that this year in that region, we had two game watches every weekend. Now, under the club model, you can only have one right, because everyone right. would fight over what's the official one. This year in that same region, which is a critical region for USC, we actually had two game watches for all, how many games? 14 games this year. Right, right. But we actually did more without the club. But you can't argue with someone no. who's 
in that state. So you also have to have the wisdom to know when you need to just listen and say, hey, you know what? I'm really, yeah, listen, it's a change for all of us. People miss the concept, but they don't actually miss the club. They miss knowing that it's there. So that's a challenge for me and my team to educate. It's going back. We had to educate people on how you do engage. And the fact that there are more people of many different, um, quite honestly, we had a lot of black alums who told us they never felt welcome in the clubs, that the clubs felt very exclusive and unwelcoming. But the diversity of who is now involved as volunteers, both locally and regionally, is spectacular. And It's just, it's tough for people. It's tough for people who are used to so, something a certain way. A couple of lessons come out here. You say, so focus on the inclusive part of that. Uh, you need to be a great diplomat in many ways. And, and diplomacy is key. Listener, communicate. And, and patience here is, is is all part of the skill set you're bringing to those things. You know what you need is a consultant with you at those football games. So that when someone berates you at the end, I can come in and say, would you give the guy a break? The block and tackle. This is not the time or place for this conversation. Let this guy go have fun and celebrate. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's part of my job to listen, but yeah. it's fascinating the way it, it keeps coming up from the people who are the most uh, pardon the expression, ill-informed, because right. they heard something, and again, we are all living in this reality of fake news and social media. The minute a narrative gets out there, it's like the ounce of prevention or a pound of cure. You have to spend an ungodly amount of time trying to change to, to just get the story straight, you know, yeah. just to, just yeah. to actually put out there what fact is. And the fact is there are more opportunities than ever now to engage with USC if you're not in Southern California, but yeah. people don't see it that way because they miss the fact that there's not a club. Yep. I understand. And it's something we're just continuing. You know, you got to be positive. You got to be welcoming and engaging. And again, Going back to the Centennial, having representatives on our Centennial Committee from these key regions who are actually former bona fide club leaders, some of whom are not really happy with us, by the way, but who've come around, you know, who've really yeah. come around. And so, again, are they looked at as traitors? Oh, we have it all. Let me tell you. And yeah. I've talked to, yeah. I've actually shared with Chris some of my war stories about stuff that's <laughs> gone on. And like even the NIL thing that we referenced earlier, the fact that there was a collective that was forming and they were going to resurrect these alumni clubs that the university wrongfully discontinued and that enterprise fell apart so quickly yeah and i i didn't want to say i told you so but there was a very strategic reason why we moved away from that model and i'm not saying the model won't work at other places it did not yield what it needed to for usc so we moved away from it and along comes an entity thinking they're going to resurrect and be the hero and they very quickly discovered why we did what we did i'll just leave it at that let me, I'm going to go a little broader industry-wide, get your lens out on sort of what you're looking forward to, what you're worried about as an industry. You and I are alums of a small group of, of uh, former members of, or your current member of, but a former leader of, Pequod president, Pequod president. You and I are alumni of that group. There's like five or six of us out there. <laughs> so you have a lens of multiple institutions. You have the PAC-12. You're part of the CAAE. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of what's going on. When you look at the industry... What makes you excited? What gives you like hope about where we're going? And then what makes you go, whoa, we better make sure we navigate that properly. Well, um, I, I saw, you know, as we were prepping for this program, what makes me excited directly is that I have a new boss coming in, which is really, really cool. We've hired uh, Scott Rabinold. Uh, he's going to yeah. be our new senior vice president for University Advancement Alumni Relations. And he starts here on February 1. Uh, he is, uh, I know, I keep saying getting his ducks in a row. He's getting his horns <laughs> horns in a row. Hired, Scott hired University. me my first ever consulting project Scott hired me for. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Another reason why I like the guy. I mean, he's he's um he's all in. He was at he joined us for the Cotton Bowl. You know, he he of course it was just a three hour drive from Austin to Arlington. Um, so I'm really excited about you know an opportunity to work with a leader who has who has wonderful experience. He was also at Tennessee before he was at Texas. So he's he's been at two very large public institutions. That that's different because USC is private. However, both institutions are very highly regarded. They both have big brand football. They're tier one research institutions. He also has private school experience from Wake Forest. So that excites me on a very personal or very institution based level. On a broader or you know an industry wide uh, perspective. I think the things that is exciting is that I think the pandemic really reminded presidents and chancellors, who do you turn to in your times of need? And it's not just about raising the gift. Obviously, philanthropy is extremely important. Private support continues. There's more of a reliance on it than ever. And the publics are now mimicking the privates because they have to because of flat, you know, flattening or declining you know, state support and federal support. So you have that. What is concerning is there's a continued blurred line in some areas between alumni relations and development. I'm fortunate in that USC and that we're able to navigate that. I think for some other institutions, it's really a struggle. And I think I would um, love for you to get Howard Wolf's perspective on it because he's we're going to we're going to go down that road with it. Yeah, because I mean, if I could call, I could call Howard lots of names, and again, there's a lot of love between us. But that man is a fantastic professional. He is a purist. He's a purist. Yep. He is yep. a purist, and I. Totally get it. He also has a very unusual and unique setup at Stanford that I think a lot of us would be absolutely thrilled to have. And we don't have it. So we have to make do with how our institutions are set up. But I think that there's that there's that expectation that alumni relations, there must be an immediate philanthropic outcome. That's not good. But I think what I what I think there's an exciting opportunity is the efforts that Case has made to create some metrics because people are measuring. And it also goes back to my new boss, Scott Rabinold. He is very metrics driven and we've had some fantastic conversations and we've already started ideating about what the next steps are so that That's we right. can continue to demonstrate the value and make adjustments where we need to. That's fantastic. Patrick, we normally ask the last question of the day is where do you find inspiration in our work? But that sounded pretty darn inspirational about uh, <laughs> where you uh, see your role at USC and the industry more rod and a really accurate take on sort of one of the unique uh, friction points in our space uh, that is certainly of concern. And as Chris and I do different types of projects, that one comes to life uh, in almost every single one in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, but um, it was Awesome to have you, Patrick. Uh, I, you know, I speak for Chris. I don't have to because he's here so he can talk to you. But we were really looking forward to having you on the show. And um, we're grateful so much for you uh, spending some time with us today. Well, I really appreciate being here. I'm grateful to both of you for inviting me. Thank you. And always happy to do it. I'm happy to come back. And, you know, I know each of you checks in with me and I appreciate it. It's always fun, especially if we hit the news. It's like, oh, God, you know. That's how I usually <laughs> keep up with you. I see something. I go, that's right. You OK with this? Is everything OK? <laughs> And they're like, boy, that guy's made a Teflon. No, it's it's a really, it's an exciting time for all of us. It's also a challenging time with everything going on in the world. But, you know, it's the thing I love most about this work, including both you guys, is the people. Whether it's the alumni we engage, it's the external stakeholders, the internal folks at USC, my administration, my staff, um, all of, you know, of course, all of our volunteer boards. It's what makes it, honestly, it makes it fun and it's meaningful work. And that's that's where I get my inspiration. All right. My answer well, to that question, when someone asked me, I say, I call Patrick Arabeck every three or four months to make sure I get a little, little energy for Patrick. <laughs> I have a little drama here and there. Yeah. 
Well, all right. Thank you, uh, Patrick, Chris, of course, listeners for uh, uh, checking out Alumless, making Alumless part of your routine. Uh, we're grateful for you and the community that we've been developing here around the show. Uh, you write to us, you tell us when we meet you uh, that you're listening and that you uh, are scheduling meetings around Alumless sometimes. And so uh, we're uh, thrilled about that. And we'll be back in your feed uh, with this uh, show uh, early next week or over the weekend, and then in two weeks with Howard Wolf from Stanford. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, we'll sign off for today. Bye now. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody.